Hello, my name is Ben. And I'm Eric. And we are the hosts of the Too Vague podcast this week. We've got a special... It's always it's always special. When it's I'm a special it. episode. <laughs> yep. When, whenever Eric is on, it's always special. <laughs> Our word this week is perspective. Let me just warn you, there will be a heated debate at the end of the show, most likely, about video games and what and basically our perspectives on what is an enjoyable uh, video game for each one of us right I'm already foreseeing some some heatedness between the two of us yeah, on this yeah. yes and it's not going to come to blows i hope <laughs> but so let's start out with what is the first thing that you think of when we say perspective so this is a, a little bit of a stretch maybe when i just think of perspective i'm immediately thinking of Ghost Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, so okay, ba- bear All with right. me Hold here on. for a Hold second. On. Yeah, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm, 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 I'm holding. Okay, so I always, when I was growing up, watching Star Wars all the time because right. my parents were obsessed with Star Wars, and you know, me and my sisters all the time watch it all the time. Right. And I never really understood when he is talking in Return of the Jedi. He's talking about he was saying to Luke about his father, and he's like, "That was mm-hmm. true from." a certain point of view and I never really got that. Uh-huh. But when you mentioned perspective to me, that was kind of the first thing that I thought of was like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, it, well, right. Wisdom. Yeah. A tr- you know, um, when you're talking about a truth from a particular point of view might be true from one perspective, but not from another. Yes. So I, again, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but that no, was no. kind of the first thing that came to to my head. A new hope, or was it a different one? Well, we it's, about- I mean, I'm thinking of the particular scene in Return of the Jedi where, okay. where right. after Luke has figured out that Darth Vader is his father and he asks Obi-Wan, he says, why didn't you tell me? And he says, well, what I told you was true, but it was from a particular, he says, point of view, which is, right, right. I, I would say is a stand-in for perspective, right? that was sort of what caught my attention right okay okay yeah no that's that makes sense i I remember what you're talking about there but technically he was told in empire strikes back the lie gets exposed in return of the jedi i guess right right you you, you get the proof yeah you're kind of the it's all laid out in return of the jedi where he's you know he's basically saying look what you told me wasn't true and he's like well what i told you is was, true but yeah it was true from it my just... perspective that's how i view the situation so right in the larger sense of the definition of perspective that's that's where i'm thinking of I, okay perspectives in terms of you view, know each viewpoints, viewpoints. Yeah, yeah yeah point points of view yeah. yeah obi-wan kenobi saying from his perspective or his point of mm-hmm. view mm-hmm. his father died that day and and you know right. that's what happened mm-hmm you're not putting much detail to it. I think it was designed to, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, are you saying like intentionally vague? I mean, that's kind of, yeah, maybe. I mean, that's, you know, he didn't want to like poison his viewpoint of him being the chosen one or whatever that will bring balance to Mm -hmm. the force. Mm -hmm. But, and did he eventually bring balance to the force? If you uh, if you I think mean, that the Star Wars saga ended at six, then, yeah, then I suppose so. Say, but um, yeah, yeah. If you if you acknowledge the sequel trilogy, a lot of children loved the prequels. See, that's the problem. Is I grew up on the prequels. I mean, I I was raised on the original trilogy originally. Right. I mean, uh-huh. that's me and my sisters watched those on VHS tapes. We broke our VHS tape 
of Empire Strikes Back. We watched it too many times. Yeah. And we were rewinding it and, you know, replaying it and it actually broke. But I was seven when Phantom Menace came out. And right. so I obviously I, I loved those when I was younger and mm-hmm. I got older and I came to sort of almost push back against myself and that like, oh no, 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 they're actually not very good movies. And then now I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I have a soft spot for them because I liked them. I really appreciated them when I was a kid. And now I'm mm-hmm. kind of at the point where I don't think they're great movies, but they have that nostalgia factor for okay. me. Like a follow-up question to that is, is it the universe similar to your middle earth sort of obsession? And, to me, and you know, it's like Tolkien did a really detailed job of right. setting up that world. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the development of the star Wars universe has been mostly organic and whoever wants to put in whatever the, you know, they come up with the ideas and they put those things Mm -hmm. in there and it just kind of, it's a growing mechanism. And I don't think there's one better way to do it than the other, but do you think that was your fascination with star Wars growing up on star Wars? Did it predate your middle earth obsession or did it post date it? Yeah. I mean, I, was watching Star Wars before I ever saw or read Lord of the Rings. Uh-huh. That was my first love, you might say. Yeah. That was definitely my first uh, universe that I really fell in love with. Looking back, I'm not sure that that was so much a love for the universe. Uh-huh. You know, I, I mean, because, you know, the Middle Earth fantasy, that that world is is just so fascinating to me because... Like you said, it's so detailed. Yeah, and it's like another history. It's yeah. like you know another another universe or, or well, Earth in, in entirely, Tolkien's right? head is it was actually just our prehistory. I mean, in his right. head, it was it was sort of before now, and then this is just you know the extended history of all that. Anyways, Star Wars for me, I think I, I've come to see in retrospect that I was more just the movies themselves were good, and I think that's what I fell in love with because. I don't find myself going back to like I'm not reading novels uh-huh. or or really being fascinated with extended universe right. um like fiction fanfic, when it comes to yeah, yeah exactly and, and so I think Star Wars for me was more like oh that's a lightsaber that's so cool right, right. stuff like that and and then just now being older having such an appreciation for how good the uh first few movies were uh, and and how how well they were made and you know, the stories that, that they told yeah. are so good. Mm-hmm. And, and so to answer that question, I, I don't think the star Wars universe for me was what They're captured not me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause I know it does some people and they Definitely. get really involved oh, yeah. in, the, in the universes, mm-hmm. be it star Wars or the Marvel universe. Sure. Yeah. Book or Harry Potter. Or Harry Potter. Mar- yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the star Wars series. I wouldn't say that I go as far as, I don't think there are any really like universes that I need to immerse myself in. There are sort of things that pique my interest, like uh, the Dune universe is kind of an interesting thing, Mm -hmm. which I was introduced to in a weird sort of way where I played a couple of games, saw the 80s movie, Dune, and then kind of learned about the universe. I think I've told this story before, but I saw Star Wars in the theaters. It was like my first grown-up movie that I went to. Yeah, yeah. My mom warned me that there would be people being shot in it, and I cried before I went. (laughs) 
But then it was amazing because right. it was something yeah. very new and exciting. I know I have a biased perspective, but one thing that always strikes me when I go back and I and I watch the original Star Wars is that I, I it doesn't feel that dated to me in terms mm-hmm. of special effects are always the thing that are going to sort of call you out. Right. right? I mean, right. that's that's the thing that's just so obvious, especially in the day and age we live in now with, with the computer uh, generated imagery and, and all that. Right. Makes it really hard to go back and watch old movies. Right. Especially Recent- the lightsaber battles, actually, in the older yeah. movies were kind of like super slow and very... Right. I mean, because that wasn't necessarily the focus, right. right? I mean, they were trying to tell a story through it. I mean, they were they were just being. It was like old knights, you know. Right. They were just kind of. Well, right. It wasn't really the point of trying to make a cool light show. Exactly, it was exactly. Telling the story, but uh, a good that was example. More of, that was more of like what Luke Skywalker in the in the Millennium Falcon training. Right. He was doing yeah. more of the speedy. Yeah, kind of exactly. The moves. flashy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I was thinking of this when I, I had never seen the original Tron movie. Oh, and, one of my um, favorites. So I this was maybe six months ago where I was like, you know what? Let's watch it. Uh-huh. Right? Like, I feel like that should be something that I should have seen in my lifetime. Right. And I think it came out in 81, 82, something. It was like early yep. 80s. Yep, yep. And I the movie was good. But I struggled getting through some of the. It was very dated with the with the special effects. Oh yeah, and, and I'm not like all props to them. I'm sure they did. As far as like of the time, it was fantastic. It was very revolutionary for the time, right? There's, but there hadn't been a movie that used computer graphics to that extent. And also, a lot of that suit stuff wasn't computer graphics. Right. It was, it was, there were various techniques that they used altering the film itself. Sure, and, sure. And so it gives you the idea that those are computer graphics, but it's really not. I remember after watching it, in my head, I was like, I enjoyed that, but there was aspects of it that just felt very dated. Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking Star Wars, the original Star Wars came out four or five years before that movie. And I don't go back and watch Star Wars and ever feel like it was like it's out of date still like it holds up. I mean, again, not perfect. Right. But I think if you show some, you know, a young person, 12, 13, 14, if you show them that movie now and it's their first time ever seeing it, Mm -hmm. I don't think their first thought is going to be like, that was tough for me to get through because of some of the datedness of the special effects or the graphics. Let me do a little counterpoint to that, which is when you're comparing Star Wars, Star Wars is a fantasy, right? It's a sci-fi fantasy yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tron, it is grounded in a reality. So it starts yeah, in, in an saying. arcade and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's stuff that we know. Mm-hmm. So when you got... Those two things, I think, that contributes to the fact that it's dated because it kind of happens now, whereas Star Wars or, you know, any other fantasy-based movie, mm-hmm. it takes place in a fantasy universe and anything is possible. So, sure. So things mm-hmm. that look – like, I don't know if you saw – did you ever watch the old Dune movie? That, oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The part where they're fighting each other with, they've got those little shield things. And yeah. it's like, it looks really cool. Even now, I don't think people would make that decision now, but it holds up to me. Just the way that those little planes 
are the shield and you wouldn't necessarily want it to like cover you like a skin necessarily. It would be like just holding a shield. Mm -hmm. So something like Dune would stand the test of time because it's a fantasy universe. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that that's the thing that Star Wars has Tron. It's just a little bit different. Definitely a fair point. I mean, you know, basically we don't have real life lightsabers. So right, even right. a bad looking lightsaber, you don't have yeah. anything to compare it to in mm-hmm. real life. So yeah, there's no way you would say, oh, that doesn't look like what I know it should look right. like. Because that's just what it is. Right. The movie Brainstorm is one of my favorite movies. It's VR before VR was, was really a thing, hmm. I think. Because the whole premise of the movie revolves around... Christopher Walken and uh, oh geez I forget did you ever watch the Star Trek series the next generation yeah. stuff oh yeah yeah you know the Bajoran woman the high mother Bajoran that was in a lot of the Deep Space Nine and yeah. some of the oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. actually in that movie I don't remember the actress's okay. name okay okay she's one of the supporting characters in in Brainstorm so okay. so they're developing this technology which is recording film basically film of people's brain patterns that what they're feeling what they're sensing what they're touching what they're tasting and then they can put this helmet on or some sort of you know device on and then play it back and they feel and taste and touch all those things Hmm. and there are a lot of cautionary tale to vr sort of overlap things now the problem the concepts, right? They transcend, they make sense. The technology is so antiquated. Yeah. Right? Compared to nowadays. You yeah. know, you've got like when they were they tried to play the tape over over the phone lines and they've got the, you know, the the cuffs with the telephone handset. Yeah. And you put it in there and so it's, you know, I can understand a lot of those things will happen and then you go, well, you've got to tackle it from the perspective of it doesn't stand the test of time, but it's not it's not current time. It's like yeah. watching mm-hmm. it's like watching a movie that took place back in the fifties, right? We don't say, Well, that's unrealistic because that doesn't feel like today's time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there's 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 something that the viewer should adjust their perspective based on the time the thing came out. But I don't think that always happens because maybe it was, I mean, such a short time ago. You know what I mean? Like if there's like 20 Mm -hmm. years, maybe there's a threshold, you know, (laughs) or something. What's the statute of limitations? Right, exactly. Kind of, right, right. But perspective. Yeah, you (laughs) you dropped that dime in there a couple times. I saw that. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As you were saying that you, you think of it as more of uh, the definition of like a point of view. Yeah, For me, point of views, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I think of perspective, I think of artwork. I think of art and drawing, which was a big part of my growing up. There was a time when I wanted to be a draftsman. There was a time when I wanted to be, uh, to go into architecture. And, you know, a lot of those things have to do with drawing and representing things in three dimensions on a two-dimensional plane. So yeah, the art of drawing solid objects on a two-dimensional surface, that's my definition. So I wanted to actually do a brief sort of tutorial for you. Okay. 
Please. I'm, I'm so gonna excited. Try. I, I don't know if this is going to work, though, because this is a visual medium, and I'm trying to try and explain okay. these things. When you do perspective drawing, you use what's called a point, like point perspective. Okay. So you take a point, and then you draw lines from that point toward your surface, and that's how you determine the depth, right, of of where the things appear in okay. this. There's one point perspective, there's two point perspective, there's three point perspective that all are ways that you represent a three-dimensional object. And then there's a curvilinear one, which is like ridiculous. I think it's more Escher-esque kind of thing. Okay. One of the concepts of perspective is the concept of foreshortening. So when you're looking at something and you see the see the surface, it's going back away from you. Mm -hmm. The line that it creates is not the actual length, right? It is a line that is shortened. Foreshortening is the visual effect or optical illusion that causes an object or distance to appear shorter than it actually is. Okay. So that's what anything having to do with perspective drawing you're always dealing with, with foreshortened lines in some way, shape, or form. Mm, okay. Art is one way that that I'm thinking of it, but drafting is also another way. In drafting, there's a standardization of views that you provide to someone to describe an object. It's very it's very interesting. It's very formal. It's not like artwork where, you know, he, these these like using the perspectives and and they're the um, the point perspectives mm -hmm. is basically a technique to to represent those three D objects. But what drafting does, it's more of a formalized kind of here is the visual language. So you mm -hmm. look at the surfaces, you look at the top surface, what it looks like when you look at it straight down, perpendicular to the surface, the front that way, the side that way. Mm -hmm. If video games are the language, there are games that represent. 3D is created in these certain ways, right? right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there is like, are you familiar with the game Qbert? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Qbert has those cubes that mm -hmm. you know. That is an orthographic perspective. Okay. So you use 120 degrees to represent the angle mm -hmm. from the center. Am I making any sense it, whatsoever? No, no, I mean, it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be a lot. It would be a lot easier if this wasn't an auditory medium and if it was a well it's a challenge yeah. right it's a challenge for me but but i mean how you describe these things i could just go over the nomenclature yeah but i think it, you know if i give examples it's a lot easier definitely to identify what those things are Absolutely. And, and other games that utilize orthographics i think i don't know if you know marble madness which was an Atari game that you basically had a trackball and you manipulated this marble and rolled it down surfaces okay. and you had all sorts of like things that got in the way. Sort of like Super Monkey Ball, actually. Yeah, it was Super okay. Monkey Ball before <laughs> okay. Super Monkey Ball existed. <laughs> and it was just marbles. But it was a pretty cool game back in the day. It was it was brand new way to you know represent those yeah. uh, that perspective. And then also there was Crystal Castles, another old school arcade game. Are you familiar with the Penrose Stairs? It absolutely rings a bell, but yeah. you would have to refresh me on exactly which that like what that is yeah, or it's, what it entails. 
Think Escher. It's a staircase that, depending on how you perceive it, can either go up or down clockwise or counterclockwise. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. I, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I got a picture in my head now. Yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. like it seems to ascend or counterclockwise right. or descend clockwise, okay. yep. mm-hmm. and it, but it's in a loop. Right, right, Well, right. the game Crystal Castles kind of used the same perspective that's that's you know when you when you think of the 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 penrose uh stairs okay where it's you know it's almost you know it i'm sure there's probably even a level on this game where yeah it's also a trackball game oh, is it? oddly okay. enough where you had to collect all these different gems and then you had to avoid enemies as you're collecting sort of like pac-man if you jump over them they shrink down and uh-huh. you know you can and then you can pass by them but you okay. have to jump over them first all right okay. <laughs> it was and they had some interesting levels too and they had like hidden warps and things that you could do in that all pretty new stuff back in the arcade yeah. days okay another game more recent that uses the orthographic perspective sim city um you'd like the original sim city yeah it's kind of like you know if you think about it we've got the uh, maybe would it makes more sense if i say xyz axis or is that going to be yeah height width probably yeah xyz yeah i mean the height width and depth of an object are in isometric um or i'm sorry in an orthographic view are all 120 degrees 120 degrees 120 degrees okay all right yeah there's also diametric and trimetric, which mess around with the um, the angles. Okay. But most of what I'm talking about right now is orthographic, uh, isometric uh, games. One another one is uh, Diablo three. Yeah. That's another one where it's one of my kind favorite of, games. That's the isometric perspective, and then also Gauntlet Legends. That was that predates or Torchlight. Did you ever play the Torchlight uh-huh. games? Doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, Torchlight is kind of a, it's very much Diablo 3-esque okay. kind of like, you know, you've got your different classes and stuff. Yeah, okay. And then we move on to Oblique. Okay. <laughs> not, we're not talking about the muscle group. Yeah. We are hmm. talking about Oblique Drawing. In Oblique Drawing, you're looking at a surface and that surface is represented basically realistically so one of the surfaces in a in an oblique drawing is actually the way it appears so i look at this straight on perpendicularly it's actually a shape right so one side of the 3d object is that the other it goes off in an angle and what determines what type of oblique drawing it is is the scale of the depth so whatever that depth is it you know it Basically, that's the difference. Cantilever, you've got cabinet drawings, you've got military. They're all different ways to represent an object, but one of the the commonality is one of those surfaces is like a real, what the real shape is, right? right? Mm -hmm. It's like if you're looking at it head on, exactly what that is. Mm -hmm. But then the other, the depth, I think it's, I want to say with your cantilever drawing, you use the exact same scale so it looks distorted because like you you take the measurement of what the side is and you use exactly the same measurement but it's not truly 
a perspective. It's a way to illustrate what a thing is going to look like, okay. right? Mm-hmm. With cabinet drawing, it's half the depth. It's a scale thing. Okay. When I think of games, there are a lot of 2.5D games. Are you familiar with something that's called 2.5D? Mm-hmm. I think people say use that a little too much. I don't think, uh, yeah. I don't think Two and a half D games are things like maybe Sonic the Hedgehog, where there's a depth to it, mm-hmm. but you're just going in a, in a straight line. Sure, right? yeah, okay. So there's depth that make it, makes it seem like it's three-dimensional. Okay. But it's actually the, the Everything game is itself still done is still dimensions. done in two dimensions. Okay. You're going from left to right. So like a side scroller, but with yeah. like three dimensional characters right. would be okay. Yeah. A double Dragon, a side scrolling beat 'em up. Golden Axe by Sega. Does that ring a bell? Oh, for two. Streets of Rage. Yeah, that one. I'm okay, with, yeah. so that those things are in an oblique perspective. The depth is represented in a way that's at an angle so you can actually, you know, go back or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage, so that's yeah. another <laughs> that's another uh, oblique presentation in a video game. Mm. So that's my <laughs> my condensed explanation of perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I try to so do that. So that's that's all in your head every time you're thinking of perspective. Just drawings. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've got memories of in high school, one of my favorite classes was drafting. And we had this teacher named Mr. Kleiss, and he was just an amazing teacher. I mean, just so when you got to the third year of drafting, he did something that most other drafting uh, classes didn't do, where you would draw something and then you would make it. So he had a, like kind mm-hmm. of a, an overlap with shop class. He, okay. he also taught all the shop classes. Okay. So what we would do, and I remember – there was an anvil. We we did a die cast. We did a cast, a casting of, of wow. an anvil, wow. and then machined the surfaces of that. Did one, you know, we had to do do shop things, but we yeah. were just drawing, right? And it was like we had to do a sheet metal representation of a birdhouse. We did yeah. a birdhouse project. I just remember enjoying that hands-on piece so much. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and it did actually. You know, when I, when I didn't, I'm pretty good at like objects in space and how we perceive them or how we, you know, our perspective, if it wasn't for that and my artwork, art classes, I think it would be sometimes difficult to identify those things. I'm really good at any of those spatial puzzles, anything where you look at the top, the side, you know, the, the front and you got to draw an object sure. based on that. It's super easy for me. Yeah, and in video games, there's a lot of things for me. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. it's not easy for you. No, I mean, because I, I was in school. I mean, I was a math guy, studied uh-huh. physics, and in college, and that was. I've never been a creative guy or very good at visualization of. Okay. Exactly what you're saying of so geom- objects. So you know? geometry wasn't a good class for you. Not particularly but also it wasn't it it, when you break it down in in like an x's and o's sort of sense well x's and y's right x y's and z's i know what you're talking it makes a lot more sense to me when i can have it on paper but i can write it as numbers rather than having to think of it in terms of lines because i've never been good at if I have a picture in my head, I can't get it onto paper very well because of the lack of me being able to 
uh, to draw perspective, I guess, okay. you know, because it's the block between my brain and my hand. There's somewhere there where it's like, I can't figure out how to take this picture and get it onto paper where it looks real. Okay. You know? Okay. Um, where the, th- where the object is or whatever you're describing mathematically. Yeah. Like, yeah. Very much um, so. Yeah. Like a Cartesian coordinate sort of thing. Like, yes. Is that okay? Yeah. I mean, I could, I can draw graphs all day long, but then, and even if you can give it to me in a mathemat, like I could draw 3d models well, but right. it was, it was connecting points to other points that were plotted. You right. Know, it wasn't, right. it wasn't, it was almost like connect the dots at that point, And it's yeah. not, you know, it's not like freehand art. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing too. Like with drafting, if you took a drafting class, it would make more sense. If you can describe a flat surface perpendicular to your line of sight, if you can do that, maybe it's just the way my brain works. Uh, I've always been okay with math, but I didn't like geometry <laughs> because I can't, I, I couldn't, the proofs always got to me. Yeah. And I was just like, ugh, <laughs> I hate these proofs. I don't know if there's ever anybody in the history ever who was I love saying proofs. that they loved those. I don't know. Yeah. There's some people, there were some accelerated people that I uh, had class with who were big fans of mm. proofs. It's like, this is easy. <laughs> So, I mean, you don't have to say it out loud. Yeah. Don't rub it in (laughs) or anything. So, that is perspective. The two perspectives. Can I tack on what I was going to say? Oh, yeah. What were you going to say? Well, so, me being super on brand, when I was thinking about perspective in your sense, where you're talking about depth and field of view and, and, Uh and things like that. Of course, made me think of the filming of the Lord of the Rings. Okay. Again, super on brand. I know, right? One of my favorite factoids about uh, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy is that anytime you are seeing uh, the hobbits particularly, but dwarves too and other creatures where it was where they were trying to make somebody look smaller than somebody else. Right. It was all done with forced perspective. Right, right. That's or a, yeah. not not across the board force perspective. Uh, a lot of times they were using doubles, mm-hmm. and they had character doubles, um, little people for each of the actors themselves. Whenever they couldn't do force perspective, right? When I figured that out years and years ago, I was very fascinated by that because they could have taken the easy way out and done this digitally, which is funny enough. It's what they did with the Hobbit trilogy, right? But the Lord of the Rings told you everything was done with forced perspective when they could. Yeah. So uh, a classic example, um, Gandalf and Frodo were talking at their table mm-hmm. and Gandalf, and when you see the behind the scenes, Gandalf is 10 feet further away than Frodo. Oh, you mean 10 feet closer? Or closer, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other way around. Right. Um, and that's just, when you're seeing the movie, you don't, you wouldn't know, but right. It's a, you know, it's a really optical, it's an optical illusion. Optical illusion, yeah, yeah. and it's uh, it's just a really clever way of doing it where it looks so real when you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know at all unless you had been told. I'm sure that's been used a lot of times before yeah, in many many movies. I have to, to some imagine extent. it's it's kind of like a lost art form though, a little bit like cursive writing. That just or, they don't teach it anymore, but uh, oh, okay, you you're know, not talking like or or practical models. Yeah, to me, that's that's. I mean, if we're if we're talking movies, I think practical 
shots. Of course, yeah. Those things, those things are more realistic to me. It's when, when, when it's you know, even if it's even if it's like the silly aliens suit. Something about computer graphics just seems fake. It's really funny to me the way that the uh, Hollywood has evolved when it comes to that. Your late nineties, early two thousands. Hollywood was finally able to start really doing stuff that they had envisioned with computers that they could never do otherwise. I, I think the prime example is Jurassic Park because sure. they, they did a lot of stuff animating certain dinosaurs right. in that movie that they used kind of a hybrid. They used both practical and computer. Right. But that is kind of when that started, when you started representing the dinosaurs completely in your computer. Right. That's the point at which things started really heating up with computer graphics and people, Phil Tippett, sure. people who doing those, you know, like the practical models, going back to Star Wars, right? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. was something that was groundbreaking back in those days, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Just the use of those models and making, making them look like flying through space. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, and it, it's funny that you mentioned Star Wars again, because Star Wars might be the tipping point. I don't. I don't know if there was clear delineation, but I do think as a public consuming media, I think we got to a point where we got sick of too much CGI, mm. you know? And, and I mean, when you think about movies, I if somebody was like, there was a lot of CGI, I think that has a negative connotation with it. Unless it's a Pixar movie. Well, yeah, <laughs> unless it's an then animated it's, movie, then it's sure. Fine. Right. But but I I do think that at a certain point it became something negative to have too much, and I and I think that uh, Hollywood's done a really good job of getting back to bare bone. You know, whenever a movie, an action movie comes out now, they're like, "We did all the stunts for real. This is all real. We did location mm. shooting." Yeah, and I think it's all kind of pushback from that mid 2000s early 2000s where episode two of star wars is all shot in front of a green screen right all of it yeah and nobody likes that movie and if you do like that movie i'm sorry but it's not a good movie (laughs) and it's and and i think a lot of that has to do with that over leaning on cgi when you could have done it differently cgi is a great tool i think we talked about this last time cgi is a a phenomenal tool but you can't till an entire field with one tool you need to use multiple tools right to be efficient or effective right that's a good analogy is the using the tool for the right task kind of thing Mm -hmm. i also think there's something to be said for experimentation i've been watching these um behind the scenes i mentioned this before on a podcast the movies that made us yeah they just put out some newer ones Mm. they've got the trio of halloween they've got nightmare on elm street friday the 13th and halloween some of the things that they did man it's just kind of like okay well that's that's an odd way of 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 doing it yeah there is a scene in nightmare on elm street the first one where the kid is pulled into his bed like pulled into his bed and then a geyser of blood comes out and just spills all over the ceiling and just this geyser of blood and what they ended up doing was they had that they built this rotating room and that's what they did was they just poured buckets of blood filmed it upside down sure yeah they also used the same room 
to rotate it to simulate one of the characters being killed and just flipped around and thrown around by this invisible force, hmm. which was also pretty interesting too. Yeah. So things like that where you have to come up with solutions and not just an algorithm to solve. Definitely. But I mean, you know, you can you can relate to that because you're a math guy, yeah? Yeah. It's like algorithms. Okay, that's good. We just <laughs> right. get this formula, plug and chug, yep. as we used to say. Plug right? and chug. Still say, yes. Yeah. But I think, you know, coming up with practical solutions for things, there, there are certain movies that you can't do it in. I would rather they would. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. I'd rather they try. Yeah. Some of the animation is pretty impressive, but usually there's one or two scenes that just takes you out of it. Of course. Right? It's yeah. not consistently. I think that's that's the problem. It's not consistent. When I'm playing a video game and something looks like computer animation, well, that's because it's a video <laughs> it's game, It's a video right? game, yeah. yeah and it's sense. fine. Yeah. But in a movie, I would say that excessive animation can ruin a movie, right? Yeah. Just I, a certain... Again, I just think it needs to be used in the right way. Again, going back to the Star Wars example, episode three has shots where they are, they're talking between two characters and they're, they're having them talk in front of a green screen. Like right. you, it's so clearly obvious yeah. and it's just mind boggling. That's like, why not just pick a hallway in the studio that you're in and paint the walls a certain color and at whatever, what? add a matte painting in the background. But there's, there's no need to have two characters having dialogue with each other where you need to have CGI in the background. Right. Green screen has been around forever. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not always just, it's not always computer graphics. Well, you know, back then they were doing blue screen. It wasn't green screen. We're right. Back, right. Back Even then. then yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were little graphic artifacts that you mm-hmm. had to like block or whatever mm-hmm. with the earlier Star Wars. It was all blue screen. Yeah. So I'm talking about prequel trilogy. Sorry. Not in the. Right. Yeah. Not the original. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that ruined A New Hope when they came out with that version. Yeah, that was special like, editions, yeah. That was just like, you know, it just took you out of the movie. Oh, yeah, it's 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 actually atrocious and insulting. There was a guy online a few years ago who, I don't know if that he still has the project going, but he called it the Despecialized Editions. You know, obviously Disney owns the rights to those movies now, but before when it was still with Lucas, with his company. Right. He was very adamant about he had the original cut still, but it was locked in a vault somewhere and nobody was going to get it. Right. And in fact, it caused a, a problem because the Library of Congress, they um, they have a, they'll vote on movies that, that they think are culturally or historically significant mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll put them in a vault uh, in the National Archives. But when they do that, they always ask for the original 35 millimeter print. Okay. And when they voted on Star Wars, unanimously was in. So they called up uh, Lucas's company and they said, okay, we need the original 35 millimeter print. And this was after 97. So 97 was when the special editions came out. They were like, yeah, sure, we'll give it to you, but we'll give you the updated one. And they said, no, that's not the movie that was released. Right. Uh, That was not the movie that was nominated for seven Oscars. Right. You know. And so to this day, it's still not in the National Archives because Lucas would not give it to them. Hmm. This guy created what he called the Despecialized Editions, and it was his attempt at 
taking removing the, all this stuff. well so taking the movies that you know because you still want to watch them in hd it's it's of course it's a challenge when you're like well i want to watch the movies in high fidelity format but i, I don't want to watch them with all of this crap mm-hmm. and so he went through meticulously get the movies back to their original form but mm-hmm. still in a high def format okay okay um and it was phenomenal because but, he he did color corrections and he did so many things that that improved the movies but he was just he was like I'm not a film editor I'm just presenting the movies in the in way better, that they were yeah. Yeah, in, just in a better graphic format in just a better graphical format he yeah. wasn't he wasn't trying to make a statement about the movie itself in 77 when this movie released it was good enough to get nominated for seven oscars or however many and it was beloved and it created the most lucrative universe still to this day. Right. I just want to see that movie. Yeah. I don't want to see the 97 special edition or the 2008 Blu-ray edition or the 2013 extended saga Blu-ray edition or whatever. It was a it was a really fascinating study in the kind of poll between art versus artists. Lucas was the the creator of all this and He's always said, "Well, this was my original vision for it." Do you remember your original vision? Because yeah. I don't. I don't think you do. As you make your way through life, your vision will change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's another thing. Have you ever seen Blade Runner? The, the yeah, oh yeah, the director's cuts. Of so these I've things. only seen the director's cut. Oh, okay. So you haven't seen the Blade original. Runner. I think it's the director's cut, the one that had the. There was the scene that had originally been taken away, which was the, it was like a dream sequence, and there was a a pony or a unicorn. Oh or something. yeah, the one with the floppy horn. <laughs> yeah, where it looks like it was like cardboard or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I think that was taken out that of the theatrical, the, well, that wasn't in the, yeah, but it that was wasn't. in the director's cut. Yeah. So I've seen that one, and that was. There was no narration, right? Yes, no narration. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and I. I prefer the one that was actually put out hmm. there's there's a reason why we pay editors and that is to basically trim away the fat the truly good editors captured the feeling of the movie without all the extraneous stuff they're able to mm-hmm. identify things that don't belong Completely. um and i think it was much better movie because it was left like the dream sequences and or things like that it wasn't in your face like Harrison Ford's character is a replicant. <laughs> is a replicant yeah. it, it hinted. Yeah. And then also the, the, the narration made it feel more like a film noir kind of, yeah. mm-hmm. kind of thing. I, mm-hmm. I, I just think end to end, it was so much better in the original format. And that's just not me old man saying that it's, yeah. it's me. I've watched them and just, I, I prefer that older presentation. I mean, I have no, I have no horse in the game because right. I haven't seen the theatrical cut. Right. The only thing I would say is, I I get director's cuts to I, a, for a certain purpose because I do think that studios have a huge influence in certain. I mean, so well, it was Ridley Scott who did Blade Runner, right? Or am I crazy? No, That's, you're not. Yeah, Ridley Scott, right? Yeah. So I'm. I mean, what he at least from I think what I've read is that he's always said that the studio basically he had a cut which was more or less the director's cut, and then the studio basically came in and was like, "This is you got to take this, 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 and this out, and then now make it make sense." Yeah. And. So I, you know, 
whatever one you know whatever's right whatever's wrong but i i I do think that there can be room for an artist going hey this was my vision but it it somebody else took it out of my hands and changed it and i want to show you what i thought right whereas like the case with lucas i i think that was him just going oh hey there's new stuff that i can add and i want to do that rather than him you know Sim saying, oh, this was my original vision. I don't yeah. necessarily believe that. Also, with directors, right? <laughs> They've got a job. They work with the editor. Your original vision, what whatever that is, that doesn't that's not necessarily good. That doesn't mean it's it's right. it's better. Of course. You know? Yeah. I'm not saying edit the Mona Lisa or or <laughs> American Gothic or anything like that. I'm not saying, you know, I think you uh, are actually a little bit. No, 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 no. Uh, what, what I'm saying is it takes a team of people to make a movie. And mm-hmm. one of those people is the person that makes the story make sense in as short amount as possible, condenses that story into a into something that as a whole is better than just excess footage. Yeah, sure. I mean, mm-hmm. editors have a job. I don't think it's all just the executives who are saying take this out take this out they have they give you notes right like in robocop it originally had an x rating and that was his original vision paul verhoeven yeah it was originally an x-rated movie because of all the violence yeah like the scene where the guy gets shot up by the ed 209 yeah it lasted a really long time. It was like, it just went on and on and on. Just, just the shooting. They're trying to, they're messing around with the thing. They're not getting it. It's like almost probably a minute and a half of just Ed 209, just shooting. Oh my gosh. And they said, you can't do that. Yeah. So they trimmed that down and they took out a lot of the, the, the perspective of, you know, him getting shot up, which looks ridiculously cartoonish. Yeah. But then the way they edited it, it comes off as even more frightening because of just you see the shocked looks on people's faces and right. there's so much emotion there that's that you capture it was almost worse it was edited down and i think it's a better movie for it just cuz of the feelings it evokes it's mm-hmm. less of a of a campy sort of presentation sure. there's also things that they took out as far as peter weller's character getting shot could actually see through the bullet hole and oh, the, the thing, and <laughs> just like the blood and the way he was writhing, and and they they did a lot of condensing and cutting to give it a R rating, but they got it. You know, Paul Verhoeven complained the whole way, <laughs> but um, it's still a brilliant movie. I think. Yeah, I mean stuff like that. I like the original RoboCop. It's oh good, yeah, yeah, yeah. We may agree on some things on movies, but we definitely disagree when it comes to video games. Yes, we do. One thing I want to say as a statement about all media is everyone's perspective on something is colored by their history. So what you enjoy and what you like is valid because it's part of, as you grew up, you get exposure to different things. So everyone's perspective is, is a little bit different and unique. And I think that's a good thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, but as far as video games concerned, you're definitely wrong. (laughs) Oh, well, I beg to differ. (laughs) (laughs) So you're the one who said to me, when you've heard me talk about video games and what I enjoy, it's different than what 
your perspective on video games is uh, and what you enjoy. So do you have any bullets or anything about, you know, any, any points that you want to make as, as far as things that you think that I put a lot of stock in as far as video games that you don't, you know, it, I used to probably care more about story in video games. Okay. I just don't as much anymore. Okay. If it's a story-based game and they're trying to tell a story, for example, Last of Us. Right. That's a story-based game. And and it was something that you had mentioned with uh, either Cheyenne or, or Evan... Where games like that will will basically give you just a easy mode to just go through because you're just you're not really I mean you're kind of playing the game and and you do things but it's meant to be very easy because they just want you to experience the story right and feel immersed of course because right. you know you are you're supposed to be a character in that game but or if you don't have the skill I well, mean, there, there are a yeah. lot of people out there who turn down the skill because they just like they want to have fun yeah. but they it's too high so for me i do like challenging games but mm-hmm. it, when it comes to a game like that i can enjoy it in a game like diablo 3 like you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier i play that game all the time i played it earlier today <laughs> um i don't know what the story in that is at all like at all yeah. And and it has a story and it's fleshed out, but to me that game is about putting on some headphones, playing some music and just drowning out everything else and I'm just playing the game. Right. And getting new equipment yeah. and Yeah. Yeah, yeah, improving and, that, and so. I don't care about what the story is in a game like that. When the when the story is is tangent to everything else or or at least when it is not the main focus mm-hmm. then i not uh, i'm not consuming every ounce of story that i can i'm skipping through dialogue and uh-huh. I'm, you know right it um but it is funny because if it's in small digestible bits i do like it okay so the the example that i was giving to a friend the other day which is uh like skyrim mm-hmm. love playing skyrim right I pay attention to story in that when it is you start a quest and the quest takes 30 minutes or an hour, but it's a self-contained story story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you start something. It's like the Hobbit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like something happens, it's a mystery or, or whatever, but you, you start figuring out about it. You figure out more and more. Mm -hmm. I'm, you go into a house and you find, you read notes but then it has a finish, a definitive finish, and it's in its all, all, all sort of self-contained. You know, it takes an hour or right. or two or whatever, maybe less. But for me, that's that's the kind of story that I gravitate to in games, rather than. So, like little little stories? Do you mean like smaller yeah, chunks? I, I guess it, it, for me, I never was a big Fortnite player, mm-hmm. but. For me, I never understood the point of. I mean, there's a whole story with Fortnite. Yeah, and but there are also people who just ignore the story and, and play it well, for just the playing of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess my point is that if the story is the focus, awesome. And I think when it's when I'm talking about these, you know, small quests in a game like Skyrim or Fallout, the story in that quest is typically the focus because right. they can tell a story with a very clear purpose 
and there isn't a lot of extraneous BS when it comes to that, I mm. think. Um, so the over- And everything that all of the game mechanics and combat and whatever else flow naturally from when the story is the focus rather than when you're making a game like Diablo where the focus is really the combat and then you're kind of adding story off of that. Does that make sense? I guess, yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy Diablo 3 for a different reason. It was not necessarily the story in that. It was the mechanics. My clear position on what I like I like what I like. I mean, sometimes there are games that are heavy on the excellent game dynamics yeah. that I like and have mm-hmm. no story, and then sometimes there's story that I don't, you know. But mostly, I will play through a game that has an interesting story. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. It's a balancing act. It's got you got to have balance. There's, there are games that I quit because of story. There are games that I quit because the dynamics weren't good enough for me to continue. Mm-hmm. You're interested more in the quest storylines than the overall storyline. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's just when I'm playing a video game, I want the video game to have good mechanics and be fun. Right. More but like I want both. Right. But I would rather have a game just have, you know, fun mechanics that I want to replay mm-hmm. more so than cuz uh once you know the story of a game, you're not going to typically replay it for the story because right. once you've right. seen the story from start to finish, you're not being like, oh, I got I to gotta go back and experience that story again. I mean, maybe once or twice, but if a game has near infinite replay value, that's based off of the mechanics being solid, solid yeah. rather than... So uh, I think uh, Chris had mentioned in one of the first two episodes, Minecraft came up. Right, and I, I, I've not. I'm not the biggest Minecraft fan. I've been known to dabble. Let's say okay. Um, but I so appreciate that they don't try to add a story onto it. Mm. You know, you're just a person, and they drop you in a world, and you just figure it out. Right, and they don't. They don't add this. You're the, cho- you're, you're the chosen one and, and right. this story is going to unfold in front of you. And, well, you're and, cr- basically, you're creating your own story like you're creating your own world, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, you're but you're just you're just a person, you know, right. and you're just you're just doing your thing, whatever that thing is. If I just want to just stockpile diamonds, like if that's all I want to do, cool. I just really appreciate that they don't try to force a story on me in that game. Hmm. Okay. Does that make sense? It does make sense to me. If you're looking at a game and saying that's forcing story on me, I don't think you're playing the right game. Yeah, it's it's probably the wrong way to phrase it. I, I think what it ultimately comes down to is the model of video games now mm-hmm. is typically to have a game that you can play for five or 600 hours. Right. You know, it, it, almost across the board, game devs are trying to make games that they can that you want to keep playing because then they can sell you either cosmetics or they can DLC. sell you DLC yeah, yeah. or and or it builds hype for their next iteration of whatever that game is or their right. next IP. Mm-hmm. And so I I think maybe it stems from that from the way that the game industry has evolved into, you know, making rather than making one-offs, they're making games that you're going to play for they want you to play them for years. Right. 
And uh, so I guess it, I guess it stems from that a little bit because, oh, another, another good case is destiny. I was, I was a destiny player for a long time, but I never cared about the story. Right. And every DLC they would drop, they'd be, be like, Oh, this character's returning and they're coming back for vengeance. And I'm like, I don't even know what that, what are they coming back for vengeance for? Oh, that guy that I've killed 800 times in that, in that strike that I've done 800 times. Like, you mean they're coming back for that? It just, to me, it's just like, Oh, that's just a guy I killed at the end of a mission mm-hmm. 800 times. Interesting. It doesn't mean anything to me that he's this character's dad. And yeah. now this dad is coming back to kick my ass. It's, but, and then I'm going to kick his ass 800 times again. You know, it's, it's so I find it very interesting that you get into something like middle earth, mm-hmm. which is a very detailed universe yeah. that is full of stories, mm-hmm. but you don't get into something that is a universe like destiny that has also a whole bunch of stories. Is it just that the stories that are being told to you are landing short. They're not good stories. Yeah. Or is it you just don't want the story? Because I think I think you want good stories because you love Middle Earth, yeah. right? You want histories. You want background. You want that kind of stuff in, in something yeah, I think to it's, some extent. I think it's more the presentation than anything. I, I guess I just think if you're trying to tell a story and the – the game mechanics flow naturally from that or, or if they, if they reach a certain harmony where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if you're having me do a fetch quest and you're trying to tell me a story with that, it feels forced. Mm. You know, it's, do you have any examples of games that you played where it's forced? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm trying to think of a game where, you know, it's, it has they're trying to sell that replay value but then what about borderlands i you know what's funny is i was literally just like i mean so borderlands i would say yeah to to an extent uh, borderlands has always felt very almost like uh anthology to me a little bit and that they're just it's it's very they're just throwing shit at you and they're just kind of being like they're giving you tons of different stories but I, but I think in that game the story feels secondary. It's mostly about the game dynamics. It's mostly about the the characters and how they work. And when I play Borderlands, I typically I'm skipping through dialogue and okay. stuff. I yeah, you know, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that that would be a game you enjoy, but just for the drops and the things yes. like the weapons and, and things like that. Definitely, yeah. And that's and that's actually you know so you're you're right because they do tons of. They do DLCs and they do mm-hmm. event. That's the big thing right now too, right? Is like you do events for a weekend or two weekends or whatever where it's like, oh, we're going to up the drop rate of these items mm-hmm. and go play, you know, go play the game and kill this boss and he has an increased chance of dropping the thing that he drops. So yeah. go play our game. And But th- here's the story of why this is happening. It's, it's the Halloween event and such and such is coming back for revenge and i'm just like cool that guy is giving me an increased chance to get that grenade that i want i'm just gonna go get that i don't care about why huh okay (laughs) i don't know if you've ever played the game warframe yeah Mm -hmm. okay did you never i've never 
dove into it fully because right. I, I mean, I know that that's another game that you could sink hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into. Uh, you could I, potentially. I'm not I saying. I have. Yes, have you? <laughs> that's basically the game that's remained consistent in my play. Okay. In my play time since I got my PlayStation 4. It's basically. free to play, right? Yeah. Yeah. But what I was doing early on, I mean, I have pretty much every prime frame. I'm, I'm not buying every prime frame right out of the box anymore. Mm. You can grind for anything, and mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much anything in the game. There are mm-hmm. certain things that, so the, the, the currency that you can purchase, which is platinum, you can use that to buy things like the newest frame that you don't have to play through the entire game to get. Mm. But there's usually missions whenever a new frame is introduced that basically tells you a story about that frame. So it seems like something that you would be like, I don't I don't care. And Does it have good stats? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the thing about Warframe is it's not even so much the stats. It's because a lot of those things can be manipulated based on what cards you use. Hmm. So you're familiar enough with Warframe. Yeah. you got your frame, and you can alter it in certain ways where you have a certain number of points to use cards and apply those cards to a frame, right? And they can do things that alter the way the frame works, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like speeds up, gives you more damage, or, or speeds up reload time, reload, yeah. or mm-hmm. adds a, a different effect to something like your weapons, yeah. the same thing. Skill cooldowns or right, something. Right, right. Or, I don't know when you were playing Warframe, but the, the whole damage thing is a little crazy (laughs) because you've got the four base damages and then you can combine them in six different ways to get basically secondary damages, which is cool, right? I mean, it's a, it's a way to kind of, you know, if you put down a toxic and then, and you put down fire, you Mm. get gas. Mm -hmm. And if Mm -hmm. you put toxic down and you put down, I don't have them memorized. I always have to look them up whenever I do them, but it's just kind of like the way, and you can add multiple effects based on how you, slot them in what order you do mm. it's just so cool how you can manipulate those yeah, things i like that then also i like the way they introduce the story components because it's sort of like it's not like they're trying to tell you a full story they're telling you little stories about it's mission like mm-hmm. but they introduce those new missions and the thing that you get at the end of the mission which usually you know you can sink an hour or a couple hours into you get a frame or a gun or that right. thing, you know, and there's also opportunities to grind for other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think that's an appropriate reward, not like like Destiny or whatever, where it's like, oh, hey, you get a drop or, or you get this thing that's, you know, like you're actually working for towards something that you can add to your arsenal that's actually worth something. Yeah. And it, I don't know. A lot of what I love about Warframe comes from a game that I used to play called City of Heroes. Yeah. Um, did you ever play City of Heroes? No, but I'm familiar with it. I yeah. feel like I've seen a YouTube video series or right. maybe somebody played on Twitch or something. Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a game that died too soon. Any any <laughs> Any kind of superhero game should use that as a model. And it's a very much like a Warframe kind of feeling. Because... What happens is you choose your primary and secondary powers and then you slot them with these little enhancements. But as you go up in levels, you know, you can, you basically, the way that they advance these things is you get to pick how many slots you have on each power. You get additional powers, but they vary. You could have two people pick the same primary and secondary power, 
but they operate differently based on how they slot them hmm. and how they want their play style. So like some is the recharge rate is boosted, some right. the accuracy is boosted. And it was so great. It was just such a great game. What's your perspective on the way we pay for things? Is the subscription model worth it or is it something where... I, you know what I'm actually a big fan of, and I think it catches a lot of flack, but these uh, battle passes that, that a lot of games okay. are, are you familiar okay. with the battle pass oh, yeah. M- yeah. model? You know, I, I, so the reason why I think it works for me is because, so again, take a game, you know, so like Apex is a game that I've played a lot of. Uh-huh. It's a free game. Right. And, and I've gotten, oh, I don't know, at least a couple hundred hours in that game. <laughs> And at least, uh, and for me, I, I like to have an outlet to support developers that have given me a game that I've gotten enjoyment out of and a ton of time into. Mm -hmm. And I like having a good outlet to give them support where it gives me a little something. And I'm not asking for a ton. I mean, cause they've already given me the game that I enjoy. Right. And they're working on it constantly, which is which should be enough. Mm-hmm. But it's like, hey, can I have a system where I can give you money where it doesn't just feel like I'm giving you $20 for one skin that I might see once in a blue moon? I mean, it's a first-person game anyways. Mm-hmm. So if you have a character skin, you're probably not going to see it ever. Right. Uh, and then if you have a gun skin, you know, you may not, you know, see that you may not see that gun in that particular match. So a battle pass method for me, I like, even though I think it can be done very poorly. Right. I like the, the model of 20 bucks or 10 bucks or whatever it is supports us. We're giving you some stuff, but you also have to work for it. So you don't just get it right away. So it gives you, gives you something to work towards. Right. But then it also doesn't feel like I'm just giving them money for, you know, basically. Just for cosmetics. Do, yeah, yeah, for that. cosmetics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because otherwise it's like, well, just just make it a $60 game. I can give you the 60 bucks, and then we're done. Like, right. then you can just keep working on the game. You've gotten that 60 bucks out of me. So we're, we're even kind yeah. of, kind of uh, feeling. There's uh, a difference between a battle pass and a DLC, like a season pass. Or yes. is there? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because the season pass is, you're you're sort of paying the money up front, and you're like, whatever DLC comes out, I'm entitled to. Right. But you know what's really funny with that is that's also become bastardized in a way, mm-hmm. because um, I remember buying the season pass for Fall when Fallout Four was coming out. I was, I mean, Fallout New Vegas is probably my favorite game of all time, and I love the Fallout series. So I was super excited when Fallout 4 was coming out and I was like, I'm going to buy the season pass. Right. And I think they did, they said right out the gate, five DLCs, you're going to get them all season pass. It's like 40 or 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. Cool, whatever. And then that was, that was that. I got all five DLCs when, when eventually they came out. Now games, Borderlands being a good example, Borderlands has, they sold an original season pass, but they were just calling it season pass. Mm-hmm. But then... They were like, okay, but now we're doing a season two pass. Right. And so, see, the season pass that you bought only gets you the first, first three season. DLC. Yeah. And now season two pass gets you the next three DLC. Or you can buy this ultimate pass or whatever they're calling it. Right. And you get all the DLCs. Yeah. But you still have to buy the game too. Right. So that's, that. I would I would say that's very different, you know, because 
the season pass is, is more focused on DLC, where a battle pass is something in-game that you... It, it's not been implemented perfectly everywhere. And in fact, the very first battle pass that they did for Apex was not good. But they, they worked on it. I just... Again, I like having an outlet where I can give them money that supports them because I like supporting the devs who yeah. are doing the things right. You know, yeah. I, I it's like that's why that's why I would pay money for those for those prime frames. Basically, yeah. you pay a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. But then you get platinum, which you can use for other skins and other like the 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 frames that I was talking about mm-hmm. that that get introduced you can mm-hmm. buy those with platinum so if you buy okay. a prime frame you're getting the frame itself mm-hmm. but then you're also getting platinum which will allow you to buy the frame with all the upgraded slots as soon as it's released sure. if you if you hang on to them so you're getting stuff you know right. for that that to me is an exception to the rules for as a game I enjoy the universe. I'm looking forward to what happens in the story. But at the end of the day, I play it for the dynamics. Yeah. I mean, it's Yeah, it's I mean, not I'm telling you right teammates. now, if I played Warframe, I would have no idea what was going on yeah. in the overall story. It's kind of secondary because yeah. for me, a lot of the fun is the customization and trying to, you know, figure out the best way to 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 do the mission. Mm-hmm. But I do appreciate the background and how the universe is kind of like they add these pieces they introduce things like, you know, the arc wings. When they introduce the arc wings, it's like, okay, this is kind of out of left field. Yeah. So now they have these things. And then they have, they introduce these larger ships where where it's basically, you can board someone else's ship and then do all sorts of things on their ship, on hmm. a ship map, and then go out the, the port and actually do things where you're flying through space. I mean, they... But that's not what Warframe was. Right. It's just they they iterate in such a way. And it's not like something like Fortnite or um, Apex, Apex yeah. where they stick with the same thing. Yeah. It's, they don't come up with new shit and just put it in there. Right, Whereas right, Digital right. Extremes, they do that a lot. Mm. They they put brand new planets in there with a whole bunch of new um, things to explore and do on a larger map. That's not like the tile sets like they used to have. Mm -hmm. They're trying new things. So I think that I like that. You know, even putting a new mode in there is not not enough. It's just kind of like they're developing the universe in such a really cool, organic, weird way. Digital extremes can do no wrong for me. Story. I like my experience. I go through the thing. If I've got a story, play it from beginning to end. The dynamics are fun or whatever, but it's like there's a beginning, there's a middle, and an end. Yeah. Yes, I could replay it, but what does it get me? Right. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to replay it. Yeah. You know, there are, there are tons of games out there that I think the journey was worth the the you know playing the game, but I don't want to play it again. Yeah. And I think we were saying to that on we were talking about nostalgia. My my viewpoint on remasters or maybe i was talking with you about it yeah i think we were talking about this the other day yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. remasters are unnecessary for me i don't want a remaster i want the memory of the game to remain intact because it kind of colored what i enjoy Uh today i want to remember the game as it impacted me i just want something new i want something new and fresh in the story you can you can keep the old dynamics that's fine but i want a new story 
as much as it pains me to say, I'm I you know give me remasters all day long. Okay, I, yeah. I mean, you know, I I don't I don't love that because yes, I I'm very much like uh, at least I outwardly say you know I like seeing new stuff. I I want game devs to be bold and and to be courageous and to come up with new stuff and to not make Call of Duty twenty seven right. But, but but the reason they're doing that is people are playing it not for yeah, the story and, they're and, playing it for the multiplayer. Well, right. It, but I'm part of that problem. I mean, you again, are part of the problem. <laughs> Dark Dark Souls remaster comes out. I bought that instantly. I right. mean, I, I like I wanted to play that so bad, but but because I don't care about I don't know what the story is in Dark Souls. Right. I don't. I have right. no idea. And I've played all three Dark Souls, and I played Demon Souls when it came out originally on the PS3. Yeah. I like I, but I have no idea what the story is in those games. Yeah. And yet I love them because it is a fun, challenging game with right. like rewarding progression. And and yeah. I don't, I don't know what the story is. Okay. All right. So can, a remaster for me is like cool because it just means I get to play that game with a with the mechanics that I liked right with a fresh coat of paint right I don't like that yeah see <laughs> like, for me I'm because, like mm-hmm. because it's like you know if you if you give me the same mechanics that's fine but tell me a different story that's it and that's that's why I, I told you I'm just gonna I, skip through the story anyway so I'm good right <laughs> I loved psychonauts 2 which I just played through mm-hmm. because it brought me back to exactly what i felt about psychonauts one which was it was so bizarre and weird and the you know as far as the game components and the things that you're doing they're pretty much the same Mm -hmm. it's a retro feeling game i remember doing similar things in the first game but it's a different story right it's a weird and you know it's a new weird bizarre story so do I go back and play the first one? No. I mean, because I get the same thing. I get the same feeling from playing the new Psychonauts 2 without having to play the one all over again. Right. I mean, one was really bizarre, but so was two. So it's like, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess it, and it also depends on the type of game too. I mean, it's like something that's built for like, do you ever play, do you play soccer cars? Oh, Rocket League. Yeah, uh, I've played it. I don't. I don't religiously play it. No. Do you think they should change the names of soccer cars? Because I really do think <laughs> they should play it. I mean, it, they might have some branding issues, but yeah, okay. man, I mean, right. football cars. <laughs> that would be confusing. Uh, rugby cars. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, cricket. They couldn't adapt a car. <laughs> it last for hours and maybe days oh my goodness but anyway cricket mode so you know what one thing uh, we didn't talk about is how important certain elements are in a game you think the challenge and the game dynamics is important right yeah for you yeah those are those are the top things right i mean i would say game mechanics game mechanics has to to be first right okay Uh, unless you have an incredibly compelling story. Right. Uh, again, off the top of my head, I always think of Last of Us mm-hmm. um, or any of the other previous Naughty Dog iterations, any of right. the, the um, Uncharted games. Uh, I mean, Uncharted 2 and 3 are still, for me, like pinnacle of, of video games. I mean, right up there. Right. Um, but it's still about the enjoying the gameplay. It's, yes. It's not yeah, necessarily, I mean, that's not the focus. For yeah, me, the focus very is, so. is very much the story now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it has to do with my gaming upbringing, 
when I was going to the arcades, you had new stuff coming out all the time mm-hmm. because it was just early. It was a new medium. It's like things where, like, okay, let's try it this way. Let's try doing this thing. Okay, mm-hmm. this is games were completely different. They got more and more complex, but right. it was just basically it was it was all about game mechanics. Right. That's pretty. There was no story in right. the game. Yeah. How could you have a story on a pinball machine? Right. You know? Or yeah. Pac Man. Yeah. You know, right. just a dude who's eating a lot, right? Okay, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> but he has a wife, <laughs> yeah, who also eats a lot, <laughs> right? Yeah, but they both don't gain weight, yeah, which no. is, I guess is good, yeah. But man, the food bills must be so. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's what games were. It was new stuff, mechanics. You know, the game, the game dynamics. Those things were important back then, and then as games started trying to be more of an artistic medium mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's when story became more important and that's when i started enjoying you know like your point and click adventure games yeah. and things like that where it wasn't really about the game mechanics it was about figuring shit out right figuring out the best way to do things or figuring out the puzzle or whatever. I didn't like Myst, though. Myst was just kind of like... Uh, you know what's coming to my head? Because my parents played it uh, back on... You know, my my dad installed... He built a computer so it could run DOS. Okay. So we could play um, uh, King's Quest. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I yeah. can't remember which one. It was yeah. probably like King's Quest 2 or 3. Yeah. But, uh, that yeah. Was, that was Sierra. Right? Yes, Sierra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a space quest. Yes, and then there was also okay. so it was for for my for my parents the ones that they passed on me and my sisters. It was King's Quest, uh-huh. and then I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Torin's Passage. Okay, do you are you familiar with that no. one? No, that yeah. I mean, just bell. it was like a DOS game, and uh-huh. it was it was just it, it's a little silly game, but yeah, that was that. They were very story based, though the, right, those ones. Right. I mean, it was they were definitely telling a story, and then it was like mini games, basically. You know, yeah. it was just like little little things that you were doing to get from point A to point B. You yeah. know, just, did you ever enjoy point and click adventure games? Or I no? mean, I it, they just kind of were a little bit before me. I would say, really. Right. I mean, it w- I I have played them, but it was even by the time I was old enough to even say like do one on my own. Right. You know, where I didn't need my sister's help or something. It was. Games were a little bit past that, probably. Because right. I think that for me, when I you know went from the arcades, go to computer games. Computer mm-hmm. games for me were mostly point-and-click adventure mm-hmm. games. There were mm-hmm. some exceptions where they were arcade feeling games. But for the most part, most of the games that I played were story-based. There was occasionally a dungeon here or there, yeah. or, or dungeon crawling, or things like that. But mm-hmm. the ones that I enjoyed the most were things like, there's um, this game called Gabriel Knight, which was kind of sort of a dude who is sort of solving a mystery and gets into the occult and he's in New Orleans and there's like <laughs> voodoo and it's it was a really interesting complex story which I enjoyed. Yeah. So so that, you know, going from point and click adventures, which that was kind of an iteration on where it was telling you a story but you had to figure out your mystery and mm-hmm. things like that. Whereas, you know, whereas Mist, it was just, you're on an island. Yeah, right. You know, and people were all freaking out about Mist. And I was like, this is, this is dumb. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't like this because I don't, it doesn't, you know, tell me anything. It's not telling me a story. And yes, the mechanics are I imagine cool. that would have been right on my alley. Uh, you mean Mist? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's another illustration. It was like, it was just kind of, for me, it was just like, Ugh. But when you have something like, 
Portal. Portal is a wonderful. Yeah. It's got a wonderful story too. Just just like you're trying to escape and you're having these things and that's that's basically the story, but it's got humor, but it's mostly the game dynamics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's one we can agree on, that Portal 2 or Portal is a, a fabulous game. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. 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 And I think that does have a story, but the story is secondary to the puzzles. Yeah. But Absolutely. but the writing is good enough to where it's funny and it keeps you going because it's like, oh, what the hell is Gladys going to say <laughs> yeah, next, right? Yeah, sure. Or what the heck is going to go on that's so so such a ridiculous situation. It has elements of those things that pull you along. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it doesn't have to have a full story to be enjoyable. But that's my preference is something that has sure. a story. Yeah. And then the game dynamics if the story pulls me along, the the dynamics are secondary. Mm. It's like, you know, but then uh, th- there's comfort food games. It's like, you know, I like hack em, slash em games just for the sake of hack em, slash yeah. em games too. Yeah. But I was pissed when the girl got her mother turned her into Diablo or whatever in Diablo 3. I mean, that pissed me <laughs> off. Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you're... That. No, I mean, I know what you're talking about, but see, like, for me, again, it's just it's it's something that's happening so that you can fight another boss i just right. don't really care why it's happening it's just you're fighting another boss it's next. just it's, it's just like oh boss fight now yeah what diablo 3 was for me was a multiplayer game a, a couch co-op game yeah oh yeah that's all it was for me was mm. me and my friend viola would sit and play that for hours oh, yeah. and we just have fun and we yep. go you know, fuck you, lamps, and just like yeah. beat the lamp. You know, right? Yeah. Or, oh yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, candles. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a fun cooperative game. It was like an arcade feeling because you had a person there that you could talk with. But it was more an interactive experience that was part game dynamics, but part camaraderie. So I, you know, yeah. I think a lot of what my gaming preferences have to deal with just the evolution of the game industry itself. Like I said, it's back then it was expected. You didn't have to make a game that you could get two or 300 hours of playtime. Right. Out of. It, it playing it through it, me, once was, was fine yeah, for the game devs yeah. because also they were just charging 60 bucks per game back then for right. everything. And that was what we expected. But now if you pay 60 bucks for a game, you expect you're either going to get a ton of time out of it or it's better be free and then you can support it as you wish kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some exceptions to that rule. Like, I don't want a 600-hour Devil May Cry game, <laughs> right? Well, I yeah. Don't want, I like smaller experiences. I don't like these crazy 600-hour games. I get, I've, got a, I've got one more example before we close off the show, I okay. think. Horizon uh, Zero Dawn to me that's that's the that's one of the perfect games to me because it just has a great story and it's got fun dynamics and you're taking down dinosaur or robotic animals with a bow and arrow mostly or oh slingshots gosh. and it's just so much fun <laughs> and it's it has a it has a degree of challenge to it too if you yeah. i played it on the hardest level but only after i played through it once and that was just to get the platinum and it was crazy if I wouldn't have had the specific armor. Are you a trophy hunter? I'm only a trophy hunter as an endpoint. Ah. Let me explain. When it comes to trophies, I don't want to just unlock trophies for the sake of unlocking trophies. Yeah. If I enjoy a game... Look at my collection of platinums digitally. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> if I enjoy a game, it's a good, it's a good bookend 
for yeah. completing a game. Sure. If it's yeah. if it's something where it's like I enjoy that this game so much, here's the proof. I did all these things. Yeah. Okay. Or I spent this much time on it. I don't think Cyberpunk 2077 was one of my favorite games of all time, but it was pretty easy to get the platinum, so I just got it. And it was yeah. a good way to say, okay, I'm done playing this game. Yeah, like Let I'm me good. move on to the next one. Yeah. I didn't experience all the things I could, but it's a good way to say, okay, I'm done. Yeah, I'm not a trophy hunter, but it, it serves a purpose for me if, one, I enjoy the game so much, I want to prove that I enjoy the game so much that I get the, the trophy that shows that I completed everything in the game. Mm-hmm. Or two, it's a good way to just say, okay, it's closing the chapter. It's, it's the end of the book. Time to move on to the next thing. Right, yeah, yeah. Right? I didn't experience everything in Cyberpunk 2077, but I got the platinum, so I'm done. <laughs> 200, hour, 200 hours in or whatever. <laughs> Do you have thoughts on trophies? Uh, I, I used to care about them I back when I was playing on PS3. Right. I would if I would play a game, I would try to platinum it. Yeah. Um, but that was you know. I for... also remember when they because when my P, when the PS3 was first released, they didn't have trophies yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had Xbox 360 achievements. Right. They uh, had the points. Right? They had the points. The gamer. The gamer score. Um, right. But uh, so I remember the very first game that I played because when they introduced uh, trophies. There's only like eight games or something that had it at that point. Yeah. Um, but one of them that did was the first Uncharted, uh, Uncharted oh, Drake's Fortune. Okay. And so I immediately, I had already beaten the game, but I immediately planned it. I mean, I probably took me like five or six days right. planning of it right away. Yeah. And uh, yeah, back then I would like rent a game just to get the platinum trophy. And if I started a game, I would try to platinum it because I hated seeing when you'd see the list, you know, you'd have a game that, cause if it was played, your system would know. So it would show, but then it would be like zero out of 40. And I hated that. Uh, you, but now I just don't care. Yeah. I, I've a Diablo Diablo three is a good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I'd put how many hundreds of hours in it? No idea. Uh, tons. Right. Uh, and I don't have all the achievements in that. We've reached a good stopping point. I made so. less notes this time too. I only did one page notes. Yeah. You yeah. and I, as far as our enjoyment of video games, we approach them differently. I like the story. You like the challenge, like the game dynamics, yeah. like the consistency, the the way you know you play for for just enjoyment, mm-hmm. right? And but for me, it's more like a piece of art. I want it all to fit together in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I want a story. I want game dynamics. And yeah, there are games out there I just play for fun, right? But they're not the ones I enjoy the most. The ones I enjoy the most have the weird stories. So that's just me. Those are our different perspectives. So any thoughts? I think uh, I think I put most of them out there. Right? Yeah, you, you got a lot. And of, I got to bring up Lord of the Rings, I think, three times. So yeah, that's I'm, good for you. Oh, you, boy. You, let's you didn't go. Bring, didn't bring up your new tattoo, though. Oh, yeah. I do. I have a, I'm a tatted person now. Yeah, look at you. I uh, So I, my cool kid club member card came in. Uh, now that I got the tattoo, I'm Is apparently that, part of the oh, club now. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. So you're being treated differently. Everyone thinks you're a badass <laughs> Yeah, now. exactly. Now I have to get a piercing, apparently. Oh, uh, well, good luck with that. <laughs> I went through that. Been there, done that 21 <laughs> times. Okay, so thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode of the Too Vague Podcast. My name is Ben. My name is Eric. And have a wonderful day. Bye. <laughs>